You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in store, on social media, and beyond. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash crimes, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash crimes to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash crimes. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online, schedule package pickups through the dashboard, and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers, with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Cups up, guys. Cups up. Cups up. Happy Thursday. Yeah, happy Thursday, I suppose. How are you guys doing? Mandy, you're coming at us from the farthest distance. España. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, we're only going to be in Spain for two days, so <laughs> we'll be long gone. Yeah, we're in Europe. We were in Portugal for the last couple of days. It was beautiful. Having really great weather. It's been awesome. Just still getting used to the time change and everything. So I'm a little rusty today. Love that you're so dedicated on your vacation. You're potting up at nine o'clock at night. Thank you so much. Well, there's a lot to talk about today, and I was very excited to talk about these things because I had a lot to say, so we should get into it. So yeah, we have Buster's so-called tell-all interview with Fox Nation, which came out early today. All three episodes are out for, I believe, subscribers of that channel. And you guys have had a chance to watch. Yeah. 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 We're going to have a lot to talk about. So why don't we start by doing this? Let's start with you, Mandy. And just why don't you start by telling us some of your main impressions so far in, in what you're seeing? Yeah, so there's a lot here. Um, starting with, and I was really thinking about this right before we logged on, if this whole thing was because Buster wants to make his reputation better, his reputation has been damaged by all of this, and this is his chance to tell his story, I feel like this is worse for his reputation because and I've scanned a lot of internet comments and people just aren't accepting of what he's saying and they're having a hard time relating to him. I think before Buster was like this mysterious character that you could have a lot more sympathy for. And granted, you could always have sympathy for somebody whose mother and brother died, but he was just, he was cold. He was disassociated. He was hard to, he was saying a lot of phrases that I didn't think were very natural to him and seemed very rehearsed. And the whole thing just kind of 
made my stomach sick. What about you, Liz? Well, I'll start with this. Uh, The number one thing that I felt after watching these episodes was that everything that we've said about the Murdochs could not be more true than in this moment right now, because let's go before the murders and just what a bear this family was to dance with in Hampton County and the Low Country. And they will tire you out. Isn't that the saying, Eric? Like, yes. don't get, don't dance with a bear because they'll tire you out. These people will tire you out. And you can see he's been convicted. He has a hundred more, 120 something more charges to go. And they're coming out with this piece of nonsense that is meant propaganda propaganda thank you that's meant to i would assume a give dick and jim a source of revenue give buster a source of revenue now i know why he was quick to settle with the beach family because he closed the door on that bank account and now he has whatever money i would assume he earned from this and then to repair this reputation, I think Becky Hill, the clerk of court in Colton County, said this family's name is never going to be the same. And that Hampton County man with the long beard, not really sure what his role in all of this is, except as a guy up there. He said that the family's name was not broken, that it's not harmed by this. So I don't know. It's it's this is what we were up against, guys, like before the murders. Like this is why the boat crash was going to be so hard to prosecute. This is why everything that the Murdochs got into, they could get out of. You can see that they will not give up. They just won't. So this is proof positive of it. And uh, I, as much as I loathe sending people to watch this, uh, I do think that it's it's a lesson. Like I've never been more certain of his guilt. And I've never had more questions about Stephen Smith's death than I do now. And poor Gloria in that one picture. But we'll talk about that. Eric, what are your thoughts? Um, I have many. We have personally avoided criticizing Buster for the better part of the last year because we wanted to respect the fact that he did lose a mother and a brother and essentially lost a father. And he really didn't put himself out there by making any public statements that you could dissect them and criticize them. But by him choosing to go on Fox News as opposed to a more mainstream type of journalism and the fact that he did this on his own time with their own dime in a way, he is subject to being dissected. He is subject to being criticized and he is subject to being ridiculed just like everybody else would once they get behind the microphone. I think he didn't do himself any service. I think he did himself a disservice. I think his whole demeanor screamed of entitlement. He blamed the jury. He blamed the media. He blamed journalists. He blamed people like us who are podcasters now. You guys are both journalists. You have the blended title. But blamed everybody except his own family's behavior. He admitted that his father was a psychopath. He admitted that he was a manipulator, a liar, and a cheat. But under no circumstances could he ever see that his father was a murderer. He still ponders why his father lied so much so frequently about the kennel. And yet he doesn't think that his father had anything to do with it and that the killer wants to kill him. I I just don't understand why he wants to elevate himself to the level of, well, my life's in danger too, but I've taken the the necessary precautions. The way he dressed with Colhan or Ferragamo loafers and no socks is just not the image that you want to portray to everyday America. And it reminded me of some of the people that are regular appearances on Fox News, they're speaking to a very small sliver, limited audience, the people that want to hear them. But the goal would be to persuade those that don't necessarily agree with you. And you have to be put in a position where you ask questions. So he said to him, you know, like you said yesterday, he doesn't believe he's a liar, a manipulator, a cheater. He doesn't have those characteristics. They weren't passed down to him by his father. Yet they never asked him about, well, tell us about what happened in law school. That's fair game. That's something that should be spoken about. He is obviously in his father's camp. And I don't blame him for that. You know, a son, if the son wants to be loyal to a father, fine. But don't go on TV and say some outrageous things and then pull back and say, my father isn't a murderer. He didn't do it. Our lives are in danger. It it just 
it it rang hollow for me. And uh, I think he did himself more of a disservice. I get it that he couldn't go on there and say, I believe my father's a killer because his father's got a case on appeal. And if the appellate court heard that his very own son believed that he was guilty of murder, you know, what effect would that have had on the judges? Dick and Jim want to portray somebody other than themselves who are saying that Alex is innocent because they have a case that they want to be reversed on appeal. They want to continue to make money. They want to repair their reputations. Although Jim was sullied this week with what happened with the Department of Corrections. So for me, I have stayed away from criticizing and analyzing Buster, but not now. No, he chose to be paid for this and he chose to get in front of the microphone. So anybody who wants to get mad at me, like some of the people did when I started commenting about it on yesterday, hey, it's all fair game. Those are good points. Mandy, David made a good point to us uh, earlier today when he asked what was the point of this documentary? What do you think the point of all this was? Like, what is the, uh, the mission or the underlying like takeaway, I guess, that they were hoping that people would have? I think you said it the best. I think the whole point of it was to rewrite history in their way. And I mean, you could tell down to the people that they selected, not all the people they selected. They had Creighton. They had uh, it wasn't entirely one sided, but it was very strategic as to who they had speaking about what happened. And it was kind of like a whitewashing of the history of Alex Murdoch and everything that happened. Like they made it out to be this thing where everybody was against this family and Alex just was a victim, victimized by the system that his family created. And that is just so ridiculous and absurd. And they were acting like the things that they said about the boat crash really made me angry. That was another rewrite of history that again, with documentary, You expect them to have some level of ethics to be able to, you know, fact check. When Dick Harpelian said that there was evidence that Paul was at the front of the boat with his ex-girlfriend Morgan, like that is unequivocally not true. And we know that the kids would not have said that if the boat crash went to trial. We know that Morgan would have not said that if the boat crash went to trial. How dare Dick Harpelian say that? And then how dare Fox News for just going on like, oh, yeah, the media just put all this pressure on the family and it went back to that. And then Paul was victimized. And then after that, Alex was victimized. And it's just complete crap. I agree. And the more I'm thinking about it, like Buster was straight up insulting to the jury pool and Colleton, he said something like uh, it was a very it was a small town in a very small county. Well, Buster's from a small town in a small county. Like, come on, man. And like, I just think he's upset because it's the first time in this family's history that the common people could do something about their family. And they don't like it when the rules are when the tables are turned and the rules are reversed and they actually have to play by the rules again. That. What he was saying is not going to go over well for his reputation. And like you said, too, Eric, all of this is a huge disservice to his reputation. And he wants to talk about how everybody else ruined his reputation, him standing up for his father and saying these things, insulting the jury. And he insulted Judge Newman a few times. It just didn't land. Can we talk about one thing that was bothering me throughout this whole thing was like we talked throughout the trial about the totality of evidence and how important that was, that it wasn't just this one piece of evidence that was going to say that Alec Murdoch did this. And again, we're faced like I thought we had packed this up and we were done with it. But here we are again with these people. And I say these people, I don't mean the Murdochs. I mean, the Murdochs plus Dick and Jim, plus the people who are commenting on this, like the reporters and such in this. And I don't, I guess I shouldn't even use reporters. There's just a few. But anyway, I feel like they kept harping on the same thing. Like, oh my God, that it was a raincoat, not a tarp that uh, Miss Shelley was talking about. And oh my God, they didn't search Almeida. And oh my God, you know, it's just all these little things that were like, 
Yeah, but also his movement, like if you start taking every little thing that's weird about this, how do these people not see what we see? That's the thing that's crazy to me. So you're telling me the coincidence of the two guns that are missing from your family are the ones that are used because that was the whole thing that we don't know. Remember that question they asked you? Do you guys remember this? They asked all the like the people that they were interviewing in this like, well, was do you think he was killed with the family's weapons? And that one guy was like, well, I don't know, because how can anyone know? That's an unanswerable question. Well, it's not like, let's look, let's look at that. Let's add to the weird thing that this tarp raincoat thing has gunpowder shot residue on the inside. Let's talk about his movements. Let's talk about the big lie with the video. So it's just like all this show did for me was reiterate how guilty he actually is. Like it put, it actually packaged it in a nicer way for me, honestly. So I didn't know if you guys had any uh, revelations when you were looking at that, but it was just really frustrating for me to see we're having this conversation again. What word did he use when they talked about motive? It was an adjective. It was a one word thing. What did he say? Malarkey. Was it malarkey? Malarkey. Yeah. Malarkey. Okay. So <laughs> just it wasn't the motive of the financial crimes that he said was malarkey. He said it was about the scientific technological evidence about the phone mapping and everything. That was the strongest evidence in the trial. The motive of the financial crimes was even by our own admission, somewhat tenuous. It, it didn't have a strong rope binding it. It was more of a thread that, you know, that could be pulled in and stretched. But the technological evidence was so overwhelming. Technological evidence of the videos, of the phone mapping, of the phone movement. And he said that was malarkey. That to me was offensive. So in addition to Dick Harpootlian saying that was malarkey, he then, when he was talking about the roadside shooting, just outright said it was motivated by his financial crimes. So it goes back to what Creighton said, like, this is what he does in desperate times. So if Dick is sitting there, like, accidentally admitting that, yeah, uh, Alec resorted to this crazy plot when faced with his financial crimes, he was willing to end everything. Well, that's what we're talking about, isn't it? The thing that you just called malarkey? That now you're saying that that motive applies here, but not there. Well, it shows you how desperate he is. This whole series shows you how bad they are at coming up with uh, solutions uh, to their problems. Yeah. And I was just thinking there was something else. Dick, Dick was just hammering home the same like four things that he was whining about throughout the whole trial. Like no booties on the crime scene and tire marks and like blah, blah, blah. And it was slappy. And it's like, man, this that happened. That trial was a while ago. How have you not come up with some better points to like actually land between? Because those didn't work the first time. Nobody bought them. Yeah, no, no murder weapon. They kept on saying no murder weapon, no bloody clothes. Well, there's no bloody clothes because he got rid of them. I mean, we know he changed his clothes. I mean, how insulting to an audience does it have to be? Right. And they, a couple of the people on there were talking about how complicated the evidence was and how like it would have been impossible for a jury to go through all that evidence and how like they entered all the guns and that didn't make any sense and blah, blah, blah. And they just overcomplicated the whole thing. No. What the jury decided ultimately, and somebody said this on Twitter the best at the time, but it was like this case just boils down to three people went down to the kennels, two of them died, and one of them lied. That's it. That's the whole case in a nutshell. That rhymed. Yeah. Two of them died and one of them lied. Yeah, exactly. And, and I went mean, back on a ride <laughs> on his golf cart. <laughs> Good Lord, Eric. What a children's book. Did you guys notice how the little excerpts of the inner workings of Dick and Jim and their strategies? So like they were filming themselves after court each day in their little compound that they rented in Carlton County. And, you know, you can see them like working out like, well, how do we answer the I did them so wrong and they did them so wrong question. And like for them to have had the foresight and the, I guess, plan to film themselves and in Dick's office, obviously they were always working toward this goal, right? Or, or at least had that thought in their head that we will be doing a documentary on this or that we will be doing, you know, some sort this, this is going to end up, we're going to need the media for this or something like that. So like it was it it left a bad taste in my mouth because these guys are the ones accusing everybody else of the exact thing that they're doing, right? So I don't know. Did you guys what did you guys think about? 
It's a waiver of attorney-client privilege. It's a waiver of your work product and your mental impressions. You know, in this, what was the one in Idaho, Stephen, what was it? Uh, the making of a murderer, Avery, Stephen Avery. It was already over when the lawyer spoke and gave his analysis and his mental impressions and his work product. This case isn't over yet. It's on appeal. It could come back for a new trial. And Dick and Jim are revealing their work product and their strategy. And then with what we learned this week with Jim did with Alex in violating the Department of Correction rules, it, they're letting their, their client speak to the media at a time when he has a case on appeal. And we'll be right back. Want to temporarily restore definition in your jawline where it's been lost over time? With Juvederm Volux XC, you can get a non-surgical jawline treatment that adds volume for smooth contour and to reduce the appearance of jowls in one in-office treatment with little downtime. Juvederm Volux XC injectable gel is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injections like redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people who had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Mandy, why don't you tell us about that? Tell us about why Jim is in trouble. <laughs> One of the funnier elements of this. Should be in big trouble. He should be in bar trouble. He's, yeah, of course. Okay. I, I'm not I'm not an advocate of somebody, you know, getting their ticket pulled, but he knows the rules and you cannot act in concert with your client to violate the law that convicted felons cannot speak to the media. Okay. What he did was Jim Griffin facilitated phone calls and it was of Alex reading his diary. Is, was that right? I'm sorry. <laughs> of Alex reading his daily diary, which the writing was very weird. Did you notice that too, Liz? Oh my <laughs> like God. The phrases that he used was so like. Yeah, we need an FBI guy to look at the writing to say, okay, this is what this means. He's this, he's that. Psycho. Oh my God. That gave him a mad lib. You know that he was mad libbing it and they're like Alec just fill in the word <laughs> like what <laughs> because I, there's no way that he's sitting I would love to know from Becky Hill whether she ever caught him you know deer diarying it back in the cell there just don't believe it yeah so he facilitated these phone calls where Alex reads his daily diary about what happened after the trial and he sold it to Fox News. I don't know if sold was technically the term that they used, but it seemed like he gave it to Fox News. I don't think he was donating it. Right. They were trying to monetize this trial from the get go. There was a, a dual purpose. Sure, they were defending Alex and they wanted him to get, but they were monetizing a murderer. That's what this was all about for Dick and Jim, for Alex, for Buster. It was a money grab, folks. 
And you know what really makes me mad about that? Uh, I've been accused of making money off of this family and all sorts of crap, including from Jim Griffin's own daughter has come off, come after me on Twitter. Like, how much money are you making, Mandy? Meh, 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 meh. I am not supporting a murderer. There is a difference. <laughs> we actually did a lot of work to expose, to give a voice to victims and expose the truth and actually try to change a system for the better. They are milking and milking and milking every dollar that they, and like morals are just out the window with them. There's no such thing as morals, ethics, rules, whatever. And I think that that's really the part that I wish a lot more South Carolina lawyers would get angry and upset and actually do something about what's going on here because everybody else knows that they can't they can't just bend the rules like Dick and Jim do. Everyone else knows that they can't they would never do that to their client because they would get in huge trouble. Look, Jim was already excoriated by Judge Newman in the middle of the trial. What happened? What was that about? I forget. But there was something he did where did he talk to somebody? What happened during the trial that he was? He shared Kathleen Parker's Washington Post column about how bad the crime scene was, how meaning how bad Kathleen Parker criticized SLED for how they handled the crime scene. And he shared that. And uh, yeah, that was embarrassing. Very embarrassing for him. Right. But he knows. And I mean, I think that that's the sad part about all of this is that that's the state that we're in. These guys know that they can just do whatever and get away with it. And they have like, oh, Alex doesn't care. And Alex got hit with two more charges of like 30 days and more in his lifetime prison sentence. That doesn't matter. Like you could keep charging him forever. Charge the other people who are helping him. Like do something about the people that are facilitating this madness and continuing it. And also like the whole thing just seemed like Dick and Jim orchestrated it. And the other thing that I kept thinking about in the last day is like, do these guys love money this much? Like everybody talks about how Dick Harputlian can make millions of dollars in a snap of his fingers. So like this seems like a a lot of effort and a lot of time commitment or do they just want to be right do they just refuse to give up even when they've lost big time and this is their one last thing to try to win the public over do, does that matter to them i just don't understand it i think we need to know who i mean we're never going to find this out probably but who paid like who is giving them this advice and why so wh who's given them the advice that they should do this on fox and we know that obviously fox is probably the only offer that they had and the only one willing to give them i would assume all the editing rights that they had over this but additionally you guys noticed that in the photos that they used that included randy murdoch they blurred over randy's face several times like if this wasn't just the one photo of him and his father and his grandfather so obviously he didn't want anything to do with this or he wants the appearance of not wanting anything to do with this i don't know if that's him towing the line again or what I just thought it was really weird how it was just very obvious his face was the one face of the family. It happened a couple times where there would be like everyone in PMPD from 1992 and then Randy's face is the one that's blurred out. And it's like, why wouldn't like Ronnie Crosby want his face blurred out or Mark Ball or all these other guys? This is just weird. And we've, you know, heard behind the scenes that Randy is doing a little bit of distancing. But it was also kind of surprising to me that John Marvin did didn't speak come to think of it yeah i wonder i wonder why maybe no one wanted to hear from him i don't know i don't know why he wouldn't have spoken is randy distancing himself because it's transactional for the law firm that that it's better for the law firm that he does that instead of going on tv and saying i believe my brother's innocent is he you know you got to question everything that every myrtle does there you know what are what's the motive what's the reason behind it you can't just take anything at face value no, I think I wonder if he he had his face his face blurred uh, just so there was no mention. I, I, I don't know. To me, it's, it's more conspicuous this way. So I'm not really sure why why that decision was made. But I was reminded in looking at some of the footage from the courtroom that PMPD's attorney looked like he was sitting with the family or at least on Alex, you know, side or, you know, around the area of the family. I can't remember. I'm pretty sure it was in the same row. But it's it's kind of interesting to me that like, because when you look at who, what PMPD 
members of PMPAD were saying from the stand and then like what they should feel about Alec at that point. Why is their attorney? It just seems it seems like it doesn't they forget what the optics are of, of what this stuff looks like to the rest of us that are paying attention because it, it just makes it all look like this is just a lie and just theater. And actually, they're all OK with each other because of whatever the reason is that Maggie and Paul are dead, whatever that is, whatever the reason the money was being stolen, all of that. There's there's got to be something more than what we're seeing here. I think that's my my ultimate takeaway is that there's this more than ever. I'm convinced that there's something more that a whole bunch of people are involved in. That's basically the conclusion for me. Right. Because, again, why do they keep doubling down and why do they care so much about doing all of this? And again, so much effort and so much risk with, like you said, Dick Harputlian going on Fox News. What is he doing? His reputation has already been tanked, but this is just making it worse. Everything they're making worse. And I don't understand it, but they seem so desperate to still want to control the narrative. And also, like you said, with Dana Kennedy slipping that end of like, it's not over, there's going to be something else that was just ominous and creepy and I don't understand it. And what is she like? What's her insight on that matter? And if you're a reporter, I feel like maybe if you do have some insight in that, maybe share it. Maybe maybe what were you told that's going to that's coming down the pipeline. But do you think that because, again, like we realized like throughout the trial that Alec obviously had I know that Jim and Dick deny this, but obviously Alec had a lot to say about how his defense strategy was going to go down. Do you think this is just them once again following what the family wants and not having the power to say no to that? No. Could that could it be that simple? Mm -mm. No, no, they're part of it. Do you think Dick could say no to them? And I just, I don't understand how he doesn't say no to them then. Or how, it's just, I don't know. It's baffling to me, Eric. I don't know how to say it otherwise. Well, yeah. I mean, why would Jim risk his reputation to benefit Alex at the Department of Corrections when he's a criminal lawyer and he's going to have to go into the prison and get the cooperation of wardens and, and guards and supervisors. And now they know that he's circumventing rules. I mean, why, why, why has Jim gone so far over the cliff for a guy like this? What, what could be the reason? And the only reason is they're all the same. They're part of the same group of people, not the kind of people that we associate with or I eat dinner with or I work out or I spend my day with. It's it's just a total different group of people. They're talking to a very small audience. It's the Forest Lake, and that's the white bread country club that I that's in our town here. Every town's got a white bread country club. That's the audience they're talking to. And Mandy, you pointed out something earlier to me about the reason why felons are not allowed to speak to the media in South Carolina and Jim completely disregarded like there's a reason for this you want to share yeah SEDC and I thought that they did a really good job with the communications behind this I, I like their transparency they were open like we weren't hearing anything that anything was going on it was just like bam all of a sudden and I also think that this that that had to do with the sudden release. Um, it was just all too fast and too weird. But uh, SEDC said the reason that they do, that they ban inmates from being able to talk to the media is because they believe that victims have a right to not hear from their offenders after they get convicted. And I support that entirely. You shouldn't have to turn on the news to hear somebody- Be victimized. Right, to be victimized over. And you, you SEDC is saying, you lost your rights when you got convicted. You lost your rights to talk to the media. You lost you lost your rights to continue to victimize people. And we are putting a stop to that. What did you think of that, Liz? I'm sure that in some warped way, Jim and Dick rationalized it by saying, well, like Buster's the victim, so he's fine with it. But there's obviously more victims there. And I would love to know what Maggie's family thinks of all this because I truly was offended. You know, Maggie is a complicated character. She's always been for us because of what, we knew about sort of what was she was saying behind the scenes during the boat crash time. But we've learned so much more about her since the murders from uh, people in her life. And we understand her relationship with Alec to have been fraught that, you know, Dick might want to claim that Maggie was the love of Alec's life. 
And maybe on some level that was true. But the truth is, is that it was not a happy marriage. It, they might have appeared happy and there might have been times where they were happy. But ultimately, we know that there were issues there. And we noticed that and we just know that we know that their relationship from the very beginning was fraught. So I want to know what her family thinks, because a lot of the photos they used of her. Honestly, if I were dead and were looking down on Earth and saw... Uh, what they were using of me and I saw that they looked like what they were using of Maggie I'd be pretty upset and one of the things that Alex said in his dear diary was that Maggie and Paul were going to get lost in all of this and I feel like Maggie and Paul kind of got lost in all of this all this documentary in and of itself because again it just goes back to like Alec describing Maggie and basically only being able to describe her as a woman and a mother and a wife and that's it no doubt to it is it, is it as simple as Buster cannot confront the possibility because he has to live out his life that his father is this kind of murderer? Is it that simple? Is it that he cannot confront the truth? And so it's easier for him to say, on one hand, he steals, he's a liar, he's a cheat, he's a psychopath. I mean, that is an amazing, amazing admission. And then to say, but he had nothing to do with the murder, but knows that he was down at the kennels. So, I'm, not, you know, is this a, just as simple as him saying, I refuse to confront the obvious? Mandy? I was thinking about that same thing and still thinking about it. And the only thing that I can come up with is it's very clear that Buster still has to play the game and whatever game that is with whoever is behind his father. I don't think he has a choice to actually stop and think about whether or not his father killed his mother and brother. I think that he knows that to survive and to keep getting Murdoch money and to, I mean, he doesn't have a lot of livelihood outside of his circle because of the way that he lives his life. And I think that he's, I think he has a lot of outside pressure just to believe that lie and you don't even think about it twice. What do you think, Liz? I totally, totally agree with that assessment. I completely agree with that. Totally, totally agree with that. That is exactly like there is. I also think that I, I don't know if I should say this, but I feel like after watching this, I believe that Buster knows his dad did this. Is that a crazy takeaway? I think it's just really horrible too of Dick and Jim um, yeah. to not stop and actually really care about Buster's reputation and how much worse that this could damage it. And I don't think they care at all about Buster after watching that. I think that they just wanted to get their point across and they wanted to write their narrative and they were going to, I mean, Buster is still, a, he's still a victim. He's still a grieving son and brother and I think it was like it was like they manipulated him in a lot of and I, I he had his own decision I mean he made his own decision to contribute to that but just shame on them I just think shame on Dick and Jim 27 years old guys let's not let's 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 not say he's not 16 years old he's a man he's a grown-ass man that's true. And he has a right to say, no, I'm not doing that. No, I'm not going to be malleable. You're not going to move me on a board like a chess piece. You know, we, we're infantizing him. You said that one time, Liz. He's a grown-ass man. We'll be right back. Calling all lovers of mystery. Prepare to don your detective hat in June's Journey, a free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. Take a trip in time to the glitzy 20s and play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. The thrill is endless with new chapters added weekly allowing you to not only enjoy the detective adventure, but also to personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. As y'all know, we're out on the West Coast connecting with fans, 
meeting with partners, and having a little fun too. All the planes, trains, and automobiles can be stressful, but do you know what's going to keep me comfy and confident along the way? You guessed it, Viore. And Viore makes a fantastic gift for the people in your life who deserve the most comfortable and versatile clothing. Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viori.com slash COJ. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash COJ. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viori.com slash COJ and discover the versatility of Viori clothing. There were moments when I was watching this where I just I felt so horrible for Buster, not just that he was doing this, but just he just looks dead inside. Like he just looks like, I mean, where do you go? And he's just very rehearsed, very wanting to please. It's the same observations that we had during the trial where do you guys remember when several people noticed this when court was over for the day or when Alec was about to leave the room, Buster would turn to look at his father, like waiting for his father to turn back. And, you know, that moment where you want the person that you can't be with and that you love turns and recognizes you. And it just felt like an, I feel like Buster has unrequited love for his dad. I think that, yes, he has some good memories of him that he can go through and whatever those memories are, maybe those are kind of a lie when, when you look back on things that Maggie, and if we're going to say that Maggie and Alec were good as a couple, I think we can say they were good at making their sons believe that their life was amazing or their life was great and that they were special and this was a special life, you know? Other than that, I, I don't know. I think Buster has a long life ahead of him. And I thought it was just really strange that Buster said that about his parents had the ideal marriage in a marriage that he and Spot, he wanted to have one day and his entire, like he painted his childhood and his family life, like picture perfect. Oh, he said that his parents never had favorites or anything, which I've heard that that wasn't true, that Buster was always the favorite and that Paul was the outcast of the family. And I mean, we've kind of seen some evidence of that, especially what happened And It's just, I, I just thought that that seemed like a brainwash con like he was brain he was told over and over again like your parents had the ideal marriage your parents had a, an, a marriage that you aspire to but it was there was no honesty there was no truth to it it just did not feel authentic whatsoever or believable listen my father was my best friend my father was the best man in my wedding I, I cry all the time when I think about my dad. I have him in an urn and I look at him every morning and night. But if it came out that my father stole from clients and my father lied his entire professional career almost, and my father lied to me about the last time he saw my brother, Richard or Robbie, and my mother and did it for two years. I'm sorry, folks, but I would have to look at my father differently. I wouldn't be able to compartmentalize that monster and say, well, that's not my dad. My dad's the guy that I went to the Gamecock games with, or I drank beer, or we shot the guns with. I'm sorry, as a grown man, you have to ask yourself the hard questions and you have to look back on your life and say, was this an act? Were, were my parents really putting on an act for the world? And was this monster my dad who every day stole from people and lied to his partners and lied to his wife and lied to us and then lied to me about the death of my mother and brother? I'm sorry, guys. He's just not somebody that I take seriously. I don't take Buster seriously at this point. Right. I can't. Yeah, and, that, and you make a good point, and I was thinking about this too. He he admitted that he believes that his father is a psychopath. Well, 
how can you think that your parents had the ideal marriage and your father was also a psychopath at the same time? And that's super insulting to Maggie to assume that she was just cool with him being a, a psycho and a liar and a cheat and a manipulator, which all these things that he admitted his father doing. So those those two things cannot be true. And Buster has to realize that as a 27-year-old man. Also, psychopaths aren't capable of love. They're capable at mimicking love. So everything that we see, I mean, it's always the go-to, right? Like they were having this convivial moment right before they got killed on video that shows that they were a happy family. That's used as evidence as to why Alec couldn't have killed them because he demonstrably loved them. But psychopaths have to fake it through every day. And I don't know that you can be half a psychopath. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't think that you can. I think you're either you are or you aren't. It's a box you check. And once you check it, all bets are off. If you're going to tell the story, you cannot just brush over the victims in the way that they did. And it was really insulting. Maggie, Paul, Gloria, all of them, they treated them like little puzzle pieces instead of people who lost their lives and should be honored and should be... Including Stephen Smith. And, and Stephen, too. Like, Stephen was just a, oh, this is why we should all feel sorry for Buster. And instead of, well, he was a person in his death, we still don't know what happened. And it also doesn't change the fact that his name was that the Murdoch name was all over that case file and it went completely ignored until what happened till 2021. So that's but going back to that Gloria photo, it really, really bothered me, too, because it just showed like how they viewed her, which was the help, the background player, the um, she's there to literally help you do anything, but she's not there as a human being. And they didn't talk about her like a human being. Buster has said very like distant things about her that it wasn't like somebody that was in his house every day. It was like a servant. It's just strange. Well, regarding Stephen Smith. I noticed a similarity between what Alex said and what Buster said. Alex said it didn't happen. She didn't get tripped by the dogs. And it was rather convenient that the two witnesses who could dispute that are dead, Maggie and Paul. The same thing Buster said about where he was at Stephen Smith murder. And I'm not accusing Buster of anything, but he used the same unprovable excuse that his father used. I was at the beach house. With Maggie and Paul. Well, Maggie and Paul are dead. There's no way to verify that. And again, I'm not accusing Buster, but it just opens up another can and creates more questions than answers. I was going to say that, that there's a sort of, I guess, going into this, it was, I don't know that Buster did it. All we could say and all we have said is that he's, his name is in that file. But after watching this and some of the way the ways he responded to the reporter's questions, and then he repeated the phrase that was in his press release that Jim put out, which is that he unequivocally, unequivocally deny anything that you just read. I think he just said, you know, he said. So it, there's there's some mushy wording there uh, that wasn't unequivocal to me. And and like you said, it, it raises more questions and it answers. And that Edisto Beach alibi is going to come back. I think we're going to hear about that again. I, th I think that that's going to come up again because that's I think it is provable. Well, and something else that was just bad journalism, I was watching that part again and notice that they... Martha McCollum said, was asking Buster about having a relationship with Stephen. And she was putting it on Stephen's family that all these rumors, did you guys catch that? She said that Stephen's sister and Stephen's brother, which is not what happened. I mean, Liz and I talked to Stephanie in 2019 and she said, I don't really think, I don't really think like that. That was just what I was hearing. So I told my mom, but I didn't really think they were in a relationship. I don't know. And his brother said the same thing which was like, mom, I'm just hearing all of this stuff. They never, the way that those two questions were phrased really bothered me because they were like, his sister and his brother said that you were in a relationship with Steven. What do you have to say about that? And it's like, excuse me, no, they didn't. And why are you blaming the Smiths on this? And why are you putting words into their mouths? And again, it's, that just, 
adds to the rumor mill and adds to all of the suspicions and it not it doesn't help anything. No, but it's Buster's friends who were telling law enforcement that there was a relationship. And it was Buster's friends telling each other. That's where the rumors are coming from. It's from their circles of friends. So that is significant. You're so right. I'm so glad you pointed that out, Mandy, because that that's exactly what they're trying to do is like neutralizing being like, well, Stephen Smith's family says it. So, you know, maybe maybe that's where it came from. No, it didn't. It came from Buster's own friends. It came from Paul's own friends. So I don't know what your answer to that is, Martha McCollum. Yeah. And it just seemed like it seemed like that was a spoon fed question that Dick and Jim were like, how about you say this? And she did no fact checking and no actual journalism, which is reading that case file like we have front to back, front to back a million times. And you're not going to find that in that case file. You're going to find that the family is saying we were hearing all of these things that we're hearing that this is weird. We just want you to look into it. And they never stated anything as fact as far as the rumors that Buster and him were in a relationship. And that just really made me mad. And that was extremely insulting to the Smith family. Liz, do you have any comment about the media's interest in a recent arrest and trial with the name of somebody who is mentioned in the Stephen Smith file, Patrick Wilson? Do you, do you think there's any connection at all with him being arrested in Greenville and then transported and tried in Hampton County for an open container charge and still being in jail. And now all of a sudden the media is really interested in that or it's just a coincidence. No, there's no coincidences, Eric. I don't think there's a single coincidence. So I guess what would be interesting, I think we'd have to look into every little piece of this, including who signed the warrant, who got who got him back and all that, and who's representing him and, and all of that, because obviously we don't know. And, and until Sled makes an arrest or two, uh, we're not going to know. And we don't know what he knows. We don't know if he's part of it or not. But we also know that he was represented by Corey Fleming at one point. And we know that his charges went away shortly after he came forward to say that he knew that uh, another person, he was charged with assault, uh, attempted murder, three charges. I think they were reduced to. Yeah, he shot at a family. And and the charge went away so I can go shoot. I can go shoot at somebody and, and the charges just go away. That's how it happens. Now, wrapping up, I am going to have a smile on my face over Labor Day weekend, knowing that Alex doesn't have a tablet, can't communicate with the lovers of the world, and he can't use his phone. He can't. He lost phone privileges. So he is going to experience what it's like to be alone, cut off from the world, except from the little community that he lives in in prison. And he has nobody to blame but himself and his lawyers, because his lawyers should have said, no, Alex, we can't do this because you are going to break the prison regulations. Mandy, do you believe he's not going to have a phone and he's going to lose all privileges? Do you believe that? No. And it's funny because like, as you were talking about, like the lie on lie and lie that have been exposed by this guy and the series of deniability <laughs> that went on in that. And it's just so ironic that the whole the whole thing is kind of shaped around another rule breaking lie, another manipulation that he abused the system and didn't think the rules applied to him. So that's why he's doing this whole documentary. It's ridiculous. And again, they all need a giant wake up call. We also learned that he's got a friend in prison because that friend let him use his pin number. So he's made a friend who let Alex use his own PIN number. And here we thought he was in solitary, being protected. Mm. Nice. <laughs> Another lie, probably. I have a feeling this isn't going to be the last time we talk about this, by the way. I think it's going to come up again. So, cups down. Cups down. Cups down. Everybody be safe. This Cup of Justice episode is created and hosted by me, Mandy Matney, with co-host Liz Farrell, our executive editor, and Eric Bland, attorney at law, a.k.a. the Jackhammer of Justice. From Luna Shark Productions. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts 
so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.